Hi, I'm Terry Zabolski, pastor of Grace Community Church in Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania. I'd like to thank you for listening to this week's message. I hope and trust that God's Word is a blessing to you as you live for Him each and every day. Well, take your Bible. Let's look at Jonah uh, chapter 1. I've entitled it that old uh, theme. You've heard that before. You can run, but uh, you cannot hide. You can run, but you cannot hide. Now, I want to read uh, the, uh, the account. In, so let's pick up at verse 1, and we'll read almost all the way through uh, chapter 1 of Jonah. The, verse 1, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God, and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone down, uh, gone below deck where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he'll take notice of us, and we will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, Come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. And so they asked him, Tell us who is responsible for making all this trouble for us. What do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? And he answered, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. This terrified them, and they said, What have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher, and they asked him, What should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried to the Lord, O Lord, please do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man, for you, O Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah, and they threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. And at this the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. We'll end it right there. You should know that verse 17 really belongs in chapter 2. The the chapters and verses weren't added to the English Bible till the 1500s. Did you know that? And it's unfortunately unfortunate that they made they went one verse too far in chapter one. Uh, the verses and, and the chapters are not inspired, but they help us. Aren't you glad for that? They are. All right. Well, you can run, but you cannot hide. You know, a number of years ago, there was a TV series. And I'm, I'm, I'm old enough to remember the series. There was a movie as well, but it was called The Fugitive. You remember that? How many of you remember that on Friday night? They used to have The Fugitive. Look at that. We're all gray hair and less. <laughs> but uh, Dr. Richard Kimball, he was, uh, he was convicted, but he was innocent. He was a, a doctor who was uh, found guilty for killing his wife. He was on the lamb. He was on the run from the authorities, Sam Gerard was hoping to find this uh, fugitive from the law who had uh, escaped. Remember that? In and around Chicago? Did you know that that story was actually based on a true life happening? 
uh, I'm told that uh, the physician actually was from Ohio. And that actually uh, did happen, uh, that he was accused and convicted of killing his wife, when in fact he didn't kill his wife. And, uh, you, you know, Hollywood and TV, they, they made it even more than probably what it was. But what a terrible, terrible thing to not only lose your wife, but then to be accused and thrown in jail innocently of killing her. I mean, how, I mean, how bad can it get? And uh, that was his story. Well, in, in, in the series, and we used to watch each week how close Gerard would get uh, to Kimball, right? They'd pass each other at the train station, almost, almost catch him each week, but uh, never, never did, as I remember. Well, it's one thing. It really is. It's one thing to run from men and to be on the lamb. It's a wholly different issue to run and try to hide from an omniscient, all-knowing, omnipresent God. Though people may attempt to hide from God because of sin, and we do, it's impossible. Absolutely and totally impossible. We might take the roving mic and just interview Adam at this point. Adam, was it possible to hide from God when you first sinned? Thank you very much for doing that, incidentally. And he would say, impossible. Adam, where art thou? God was not seeking information, but in his inquiry was penetrating his sinful heart as to recognize what he had done and the consequences of that. We could take that roving mic and, and go even to David. David had sinned with Bathsheba, attempted to cover it up and pretend as if life were ever the same. It could never be. Until Nathan, a year later, the prophet said, Thou art the man. There you go, Pam. There's King James. Thou art the man. And brought uh, David to his confession and repentance. He could run. He could attempt to hide. But he never could, could he? And today we'll see Jonah. Jonah is running. He slips on his Nikes. He's a marathoner. I'm out of here. And we're going to discover it's absolutely impossible. You can run, but you cannot hide. You cannot. Jonah is going to teach us of Hebrews 10.31. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. We too may take, uh, must take to heart the terrible consequences that result when we turn away from God, and that's what Jonah did. That's what we do when we as believers sin. We turn away from God. We turn away from his word and his will for our life, and it's ever downward. Downward it is. Well, the proposition, there are four tragic results when we run from the Lord in our disobedience. I could put this as a frontlet in front of you so you could see it in the hour of temptation. And some of you are there now. Some of you have uh, strayed away from the path. It's just, it's just the human condition. Even though you're saved, we have the residue of sin. Not the reign of sin, but the residue of sin that's within us. And, and we live in a world that's no friend of grace, that hates Christ, and it's like a magnet. It draws us. It entices us. And if we could put like a big neon flashing light, wait a minute, be careful. There are tragic consequences when you and I believe the lie and wander away in the enticement in sin. For we never sin unto ourselves. We're going to see that. Well, there are four results when we run from the, uh, from the Lord in our disobedience. And we need to realize afresh that there is never there is no safe place apart from the presence of the Lord. No safe place. Some of these uh, homes in these large cities, I've, I've read it, and recently there's a movie some time ago about the safe room where you could build this encapsulated safe vault type thing. So if your home were invaded, everything runs into the center and close it, and you're safe from any sort of predators or someone breaking in. 
The reality is, is in life, when you and I flee from the presence of God and his word, there is no safe place, no matter how we may construct it or be deluded in our thinking. And Jonah shouts this to us. Well, four tragic results. Just look at them. Let me summarize the four of them first. First of all, when we drift away from the Lord, our lives give clear evidence of it. That's a tragic result. Our lives give clear evidence that we have disobeyed and wandered. Second tragic result, when we move into disobedience, our actions always hurt others. Always. Always. Third, when we begin with a small step of disobedience, know that it can end in self-destruction. You think, well, that's just a little sin. Nobody will know. Just a tiny thing. Be careful. Be careful. It can lead to destruction in a very short time. So how did that happen? And last tragic result we'll see from Jonah, when we disobey God, he continues to work. You can't stop his work. His work is unstoppable. You and I lose the blessing. That's what happens. We lose the blessing. Well, if you got that, you can head through the door. We're done. But uh, you probably don't. Let me, fill, let me fill the skeleton in here a little bit, okay? First tragic result when we run from the Lord in our disobedience is that when we drift away from the Lord, our lives give clear evidences of it. The following are simply some of the fruits of Jonah's backsliding. And they're not uh, comprehensive. This is just a sampling. You see, for now, when Jonah says, uh, no, Lord, I don't want to do that, I'm going west. You know the expression, go west, young man? For Jonah, that was not a good idea. God wanted him to go east. He said, no, verse 4, but Jonah, or verse 3, but Jonah, bad sign. Now look, Jonah appears to be a man spiritually at sea. He's lost his moorings. Notice some of the fruit of his, uh, uh, his life giving evidence of his disobedience. And it happens in our life. A, we are often misguided by circumstances. When we refuse to take God and his word to heart and obey it, don't allow circumstances to be God's mile markers and directors for you. Jonah did that, and he was sadly mistaken. Sadly. And I say this in a day that loves experience. Don't tell me what God's word says. I'll tell you what happened to me. And we elevate our experience and our circumstances above God's revealed word. And we should never do that. And here this prophet, who had been greatly used of God in days gone by, is misconstruing circumstances. The providence of God. Oh, God had a ship in the harbor. Oh, great day. Great day. A ship. And I'm sure when he saw it, I say in A, Jonah must have thought, this is a great thing. God knew I couldn't do that. Oh, how fortunate I am. I hate the word lucky. You know? So he goes down there. And in his wallet, he had just enough money for the passage. Wow. Great day. What a circumstance. Wow. Don't be misguided by circumstances. Don't let circumstances be to you the voice of God when you and I willfully disobey his word. It's like how that applies. Beware of that. Don't be, number one, guided by providence when you refuse to be guided by God's word. God communicates his will primarily and fundamentally through his word. He does. And don't get it upside down. This ship in Joppa Harbor was not meant to be a means of escape from God's revealed word. It wasn't. But you know what it would be? It would be an instrument in the hand of God to bring this prophet back to obedience. It would be a most terrible instrument, really, in God's hands. It would bring him near to the point of death. God was going to use it. 
And it was a clear day, I'm sure. And ships don't leave when there's a big storm or it looks like a storm. Any, any port in a storm, my dad would say, it was a beautiful day. Went down, paid the fare, went down, checked out his cabin, was sleeping in the very hold of the ship. What a beautiful day. What a circumstance. Be careful. Don't misinterpret circumstance when you and I willfully disobey the plain teaching of God's Word. I said it last week when we introduced Jonah. It's not difficult to know God's Word. It's not like it's advanced calculus where you're like, I need a remedial class in that again. I didn't get it. No. God's will to Jonah was very simple. Go preach. Which word didn't you understand? Right? And it's the same with us. It's not that we need volumes of theology. I've gone trying to figure out God's will here. This is complicated. It isn't. He speaks on our level. And we understand. It's not that we don't understand. It's that we don't do what we know we should do. And so here he goes, tripping along, going west, the opposite of where he should have been. There's a ship. What a circumstance. Wow, thank you, Lord. Well, don't be misguided by circumstance. The second thing, uh, B, the second fruit in his life, and in our life, we're powerless when trouble comes. You know that? Powerless. Jonah needed to be awakened by a pagan captain. Powerless. Here's a tremendous storm. The ferocity of it is horrible. It was raging. God sent a raging wind. And veteran soldiers, soldiers sailors, probably mostly Phoenicians. They lived along the coast. They were great seafaring people. Probably some of them were even Ninevites, the great empire of that day. Well, what an object lesson. It shows us to God's people then and now to be awake, awakened from the apathy as crying people perish on the sea of life. Here's Jonah. He's oblivious to the, to the storm. He's powerless in his disobedience. He's, uh, he's, he's off the chart on, on frequencies, not even tuned in. And here he is powerless. The pagan captain had to invite Jonah to the prayer meeting. How odd is that? Come and join us on deck. We're praying to our gods. Wake up. Rouse yourself. What are you doing sleeping? An odd thing completely. He was powerless. And when we're wayward, we sense the loss, a spurt of vitality in our life. It is gone. I don't care if you were a giant and did great things for God in yesteryear. If you're not walking with the Lord moment by moment, day by day, when the trials come and the things come every day in our life, you are weak, spiritually weak. Jonah was weak and detached and was of no help. We are like that. You know that? You know that. I know that in my own life. When we deliberately sin, there's a sapping of our spiritual vitality and strength, and it's gone. We're not in a position where we could say, let's pray and trust God in this storm. Jonah was quickly far off the path of where he ought to be. He was weak, and so are we. It's a fruit of disobedience. I always loved Superman when I was a kid. I used to get up early Saturday morning, and I'd see him on, on, on the TV, black and white then, in those days, kids. Watch Superman catch bullets and leap buildings and all that kind of stuff. But there's one thing that always got him. You know what it was? Kryptonite. Kryptonite, right? They bring that in his... His foe would bring that around, and there was this mighty man, sapped of absolute and total strength, almost die, sapped of any power, any strength. This one who was mightily used and had been used in a fictitious way in days gone by. Well, that story may be fictitious with Superman, but that analogy fits our life. When we, like Jonah, leave the path, disobey God, and the fruit of that is we all of a sudden are sapped of the spiritual vitality and power, as if it were a kryptonite hanging around our neck. That's the way it is. It's a moment-by-moment. Moment. It's hand-to-hand combat. It really is. 
The third fruit, see, we're ashamed of the work of uh, in service of Christ when we disobey and wander away. In verse 8, the sailors ask him all these questions. I love Sinclair Ferguson. He says, he's a Scotsman. He said, this is like a bunch of Americans, you know. They just want to shoot all these questions out. Where you been? What's this? What do you do? Who's your God? All that. The Americans, they just spit it out like that. Well, it's like a good reporter, really. When they finally, Jonah comes up on deck and they're asking him all these questions. Tell us who's responsible for making all this. What do you do? Where do you come from? What's your country? From what people are you? Jonah, in his answer, answers all of the questions except one. He never tells them that he's a prophet of God. He's ashamed of it. He was a graduate of the School of the Prophets, the Harvard of his day. And now he's in disobedience. And uh, he's ashamed. He's ashamed. Oh, he gives his ethnic identity. I'm a Hebrew. He may have said that, you know, I'm running away from God. They knew something of it earlier. But he never tells them, I'm a prophet of Yahweh, the God of Israel. Never does. And isn't it like that when we sin? Right? When you sin. Some of you help in Sunday school. And we appreciate that. We need to raise up more Sunday school teachers. Jerry needs help. His kids carry the load on that. We need your help to rotate in on that. But if you teach Sunday school, let's say, right? And then you deliberately choose to sin. You're not fast to say when maybe confronted or others see, oh, and incidentally, I teach Sunday school at Grace. You, you, you don't do that. Some of you have deacons and been deacons and elders and everything else and, and days gone by. Yeah, and, and in the midst of, uh, of sinning, you don't say, oh, oh, incidentally, I'm an elder there too, yeah. Yeah, oh, I'm an American, yeah, I live in the greater Harrisburg area, yeah, I'm an elder there. Uh-uh, we don't do that, do we? And Jonah is, I think, his silence indicates that he's ashamed. He's ashamed of where he had been and now how he's fallen. And that follows. It's a fruit of disobedience. It is. It really is. And we see it in the life of Jonah. We do the same thing when we drift away from our Lord. And fourth fruit, D, when we despair, we despair thinking that God's use for us is over. When you and I disobey, like Jonah, we come to the end quickly and go like, I don't think God can ever use me again. Because of my sin. Jonah in verse 12 says, uh, he realized it's the voice of God and the hand of God and the sea and the storm. Pick me up and throw me into the sea. Kill me. Put an end to my life, he's saying. He is in despair because of his disobedience that God could ever, ever, ever use him again. He felt both physically, one man writes, and spiritually, a castaway with no thought of rescue. But isn't it interesting? God had another plan, did he? And could you have scripted this one? Sometimes the things God does in our life. Could you have scripted your life? It's absolutely phenomenal when you take a step back and look at it. You could not have connected the dots of what God has done in your life, if you love him. And we could all pass the mic around and just be amazed, and heaven will do that as we share a lot of those things of what God has done. But you think Jonah saw the great fish coming? No way. And his wildest dreams, did he ever imagine that? No way. Did, Dan, did Daniel's friends that stood up to a, a rebellious king ever imagine that they would endure the fiery furnace? No way. You cannot script it in great ways and small ways how God is working in your life and mine. And God was not done with Jonah. Though he felt, and it's a fruit of disobedience, my life is over, I'm washed up. But it's never so. Now, you can't have it like it never happened. That's true. We'd like to erase it all. Some of the dumb, boneheaded rebellious things we've done. Oh, I wish I never did that. But God can heal, and we may have a scar, but the pain is gone. But God can still use us in ways 
that we maybe have not even thought about. It's a marvelous, the reality of God. When we drift away, we give clear evidence of, uh, of our disobedience to God. Jonah's life shouts that to us. It shouts it. It shouts us. Now, I always wanted to, to play the piano like some of you can play the piano. You play great. Um, but I didn't want it bad enough in those early years when I had to suffer through five years of piano practice. My father got a bad investment for his money. But somewhere he read that kids do better in, in life and in school if they play instruments. Did you ever read that? So he resolved that his kids were going to play two each. Great day in the morning. All I want to do is play sports, you know. So anyway, but my teacher told me back then, and I remembered it, and it applies not only to that, but to wrestling and football, and I found it applies to everything. And it applies to your spiritual life and mine. You miss one day of practice, and I used to do that, and you know. You miss two days of practice, I know, I'm your teacher. You miss three days and the world knows. Ooh. Doesn't that apply? It applies to wrestling. You skip three practices, look out, right, Mark? The next tournament, you're in deep trouble. You'll be spitting blood. You'll be burning at the lungs and all the rest. Piano, well, that's why I don't play piano for us. Aren't you glad the world knows? <laughs> Thank you, Tanya. We appreciate you playing. But uh, isn't that true? It's true, and it's life. The evidence, we have fruit of that, and you go very, the world knows. And it's obvious with Jonah, this man that God had wonderfully used. The evidence of his disobedience was everywhere. But that's the first tragedy. Second quick uh, 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 tragic result, when we move into disobedience, our actions always, always, always hurt others. Jonah never imagined that his sin would affect anyone else. Never. And, and we delude ourselves thinking, well, it's just me. I'm just, I, I'm just deciding, no, Lord, I'm doing what I want to do. And little do we ever think about, like throwing a stone into the pond, and you all know the ripple effect, that's what our actions do. Little did he ever think that he was going to put in peril other people that he had never met through his disobedience. But it's true to life. It is absolutely and totally true to life. Our sin always involves those others, and especially those near us. Always. Remember, no path of disobedience is ever blessed by the Lord. It never is. It's the principle of sowing and reaping. It is more dramatic in our life than the principle, the law of gravity. What a man sows, he will reap. You will eat the fruit of your life, and so will I. What kind of fruit are you growing in your life? Is it bitter, or is it sweet? And that fruit will, be a, be a, it will affect those that are near you, and even some that are far away. We see it in Jonah's life. A, B, our sin cause, causes God to intervene in our lives in special ways. Remember, he is the faithful, loving, holy, heavenly Father. Our fathers didn't always discipline us properly. I've said that before. I was once spanked when my brother lied through his teeth. And my father looked at my older brother, then he looked at me, and I denied it. And my father said, you did it, you're getting it. And my brother, to my amazement, stood there and watched me get the belt. Unbelievable. I must still have unresolved something here. <laughs> I got to call Seattle. He lives out in, no, Pitt, uh, Portland, and, and deal with that. But our fathers are, you know, they're only of certain mentality. They only can see what they can see, and they can surmise, and they know themselves, and certainly with our dads, the fruit doesn't fall far. I was laughing with Rob the other day, uh, I said one time, my father confronted, I think I was 13, and I, he, he wanted to know the deal, what I did, and I sat down and I told him the story, and he sat back in his chair, I don't remember, I don't even remember what it was, but I remember his reaction saying, do you think I was born yesterday? <laughs> Makes me laugh. 
Do you think I just fell out of the tree? You're my son. I know you because I know myself. And isn't that the case? Isn't that absolutely the case? God is our perfect Heavenly Father, and He chastens us and disciplines us to bring us to that place where He can bless us. Well, look at how He does this. B, our, our sin causes God to intervene in a special way. First, first of all, God does not put obstacles in our way. He doesn't body block Jonah, tackle him before he gets to the Joppa Harbor. Oh my, don't let him on that ship. Oh, he's in disobedience. God doesn't, one man puts, I think I have it on your sheet here, he doesn't rearrange the star. God, God does not rearrange the stars of heaven to sort of say, stop, don't go there. God doesn't do that. He sort of, it would seem in our lives like he just sort of lets us go downhill and, obey, and, and, and to pay the price for our foolish choices. He does at first. Doesn't it seem that way? It does. But if we persist and get this message, if you know and love Christ as your Savior, if we persist in our disobedience, he gets rougher. Rougher. That's what the, the text says here. And the sea and the waves grew rougher and rougher. And I'm not making too much of this. But God was getting his attention and dealing with his disobedient servant. He sends a storm. And now innocent sailors, here's the point, innocent of Jonah's sin, that is, were caught up in the whirlwind. You see, what we do affects others. It affects. It affects you. It affects your marriage. If you're married, it affects your friends, your children, your grandchildren. It affects us as a church, and it affects us as a nation. Righteousness exalts a nation. Sin is a reproach to any people. It's the ripple effect. And Jonah, little thinking, you mean it's going to, my disobedience, affect others? Absolutely. Absolutely. And yours and mine is exactly the same. We could go back and walk, let our fingers do the walking, not through the yellow pages, but through the text. We could uh, go to Achan and, and, and ask in Achan's day, remember Achan from Joshua? He stole something from Jericho, hid it in his tent, little thinking there that, uh, you know, he disobeyed and, and took that which was to be a dedicated, devoted thing to the Lord, that that decision would affect anyone else. In the brilliant technicolor, the, uh, Joshua leads the troops to the battle of, we say, A-I in English or I in Hebrew, and, and thousands were killed in the next battle. And the people were crying out, what happened after the victory at Jericho? And they discovered there was sin in the camp. And that Achan's sin involved others and hurt others, caused death, eventually his own death, death of his family as well. We could walk uh, even further and see David again, not with Bathsheba, but later in his life, he numbers the people. God said, don't ever number the people. And he made it very difficult for them to do that. And the reason why is, uh, in a prideful sense, let's number, let's number the troops and find out how many we have, and I'm feeling really good about that. Wow, I'm some king. And he numbered them in his pride. And because of that, God sent a plague, and it killed Many, many people in that day. You see, what we do, and what we do in our disobedience, we never sin to ourselves. We may be standing all alone thinking, this won't involve anyone else. Jonah's all by himself, as far as we can tell, when he says, no, Lord, I'm not going to do that. And the result is, it, uh, it hurt other people, didn't it? And then Jonah, that's his disobedience warns us. It's a great encouragement, incidentally, for you and for me to live uh, godly lives. And the reason is the opposite of that. Do you know that if you strive to live a godly life and serve the Lord and say no to your sin bent and deal with your sin fast when you do sin, 
that you will be a blessing, a great blessing to those near you and far. It's one of the greatest reasons I tell the men for a dad to live a holy, godly life. Forget the past, you can't change it. From this point on, live for Christ. Because your impact upon your children and your grandchildren and those in circles that go out will be with an incredible blessedness. And they will rise up and bless you. You think I'm wrong in that. Read in the Old Testament all the times where it says, to how many generations will the fruit of righteousness be blessed? It goes on forever. And that's something. And someday in heaven, if the Lord tarries, there may be generations later from you that will know of you and rise up and say, that was my great, 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 great grandfather, and he loved the Lord and served him with his life. And there is a godly seed in my family because of it. I'm telling you, it's motivation. It's motivational. And so what do we learn here second? The second tragic result when we run from the Lord in disobedience is that our actions always hurt others. A man in his office enjoys a flirtatious relationship with a beautiful woman over in the other cubicle. And it's harmless, right? It's harmless. They just enjoy each other. She finds herself ending up dressing every day to, to please him because she gets stroked by his attention and his flirtatiousness. Bit by bit they have lunch, and bit by bit because... They're getting closer and closer. They shed their clothing and they involve themselves with activity that they should not. And bit by bit, there's a broken-hearted wife and a spouse on the other side and children. And now they're talking divorce. And now it's affecting not only their family, their greater family. It's affecting their church. Maybe their, their teachers in Sunday school may be serving them. Listen, it happens. It happens. It happens. Sin of all kinds and all varieties, even the smallest of sin. We never sin to ourselves. We see it in Jonah's life. It shouts to us as the sea is now raging. And where, what brought this on? It was the sin of Jonah by his lonesome. Don't miss that lesson. It's powerful. What a result by way of a warning for us. Third, third tragic result is when we begin with a small step of disobedience. Know and be warned that it can end in self-destruction. Jonah soon despaired of even living. Verse 12, throw me overboard, he said. Jonah had been, and I remind you again, a faithful servant of the Lord in the past. We saw that in the historical books where he, he went and he dealt with Jeroboam II. and was the voice of God to a pagan king, Israel. But now he turned away from God's word. Perhaps he thought, I'm going to resign. I'm out of here. I'm done with this work. He disobeyed. It seemed like such a small thing, didn't it? It seemed like a small thing. Lord, I don't want that assignment. Do you have any others? Maybe westward, ho. Do I get, is it multiple guests? Do I get another one? You know? It seemed like a small thing. And in short order, he's despairing of even living. It seemed like a small thing. You have to watch the little things. I, I'm convinced in the Christian life, it's, not, it's usually not the big things, and we usually don't do the big sins uh, with, with little thought. It's all the little ones that lead up to it. And then the results of that are disastrous. It's the little ones. I used to have a boss he, uh, when I was in college. I, I worked for him, John Griffin, up in Clark Summit. And John would uh, tell me, he said, my business model is I watch the pennies. Because if I watch the pennies, the dollars, they'll add up. I'm not talking about pennies. I'm not talking about dollars. I'm talking about something far more important than that. Watch the little sins. This may have been a little one. I mean, he didn't murder someone. He didn't go out and commit adultery. He didn't blow up the king. I mean, you think about the big ones, the dirty dozen, the, you know what I mean. A little, Lord, no, no, I'd like a different assignment. All right, disobeyed, but is that so bad? You know. And in short order, 
He's totally disoriented, he's disintegrating, and he's despairing of life itself. That's the way it is. The wages of sin is death. That means separation. All of a sudden, he's lost himself. He's a man at sea in his own life with no mooring. And the same thing happens in my life and yours. It does. It does. Such a small thing. Yet, like Jonah, when we sin, it sets in motion a series of consequences that we have little control over. For disobedience, here it is, leads to disorientation, which leads to despair. It does. And in his despair, be with his hardened heart, Jonah calls for the end of his life. Throw me overboard. Boy, it wasn't too many days ago he was, things were going well. Boy, it went downhill fast. This disintegration was, wow. And now he prefers death to what God wanted him to do. Wow. He could have repented. Could have dropped on his knees on the deck, said, Lord, forgive me. Take me back, guys, to Joppa. I got some work to do. But he didn't do that, did he? He was hard-hearted. And because of that, he was totally disintegrating as a person, as a man of God. I'm asking, can you connect the dots here? I see it very clearly. Walking with the Lord, makes a bad choice. Didn't seem like a huge thing, but it's disobedience. And in short order, he wants to die. I guess we hang our lives uh, like from a thread. Wendell Kempton used to tell me that. He'd say, leadership hangs like it is from a thread. You think it's there forever. No, it's not. Life is like that, too. Wow. When we continue to sin, there's a disintegration that takes place in our lives. We all lose that sense of purpose. We, we forget. We lose. Who, who, who are we? Where do we fit in? What are we, what are we doing now? We lose our place in the sense of that. We lose a sense of direction in our life when we leave the path in disobedience. Our lies, they self-destruct. I don't want to overwork Hollywood today, but uh, there, was another, uh, there was another one I just happened to think of by way of illustration was you, you have to love the Mission Impossible, right? Where they always got the assignment at the beginning. I'm talking about the old one. And in 10 seconds, this... Tape will self-destruct. That's neat how it always just got, there it was gone. Right? Some of you really know what I'm talking about there, more than the word. I'm not sure what he means by the word, but I do know all this other stuff. <laughs> I got more work to do here than I thought. That's our lives, though. Disintegration so fast when we, do, when we willfully disobey. Jonah, throw me overboard. This He's totally lost at sea. And fourth and final tragic result, when you and I run from the Lord in our disobedience, when we disobey God, He continues to work. But we lose the blessing. He continues. His work marches on. I will build my church. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. Jesus said that. Hey, one man writes of the irony here. Jonah is running from God because he didn't want God to save the heathen in Nineveh. But the first great event in the book, the man writes, finds the conversion of pagan sailors. The sailors at first were fearing when they heard of the Lord God, creator of heavens and the earth and the sea. They were greatly fearing. And after they toss Jonah over and God calms the sea, now they're offering vows and sacrificing and worshiping to God, which if we can trust the writer of Boyce, Jim Boyce writes, these are evidences of true conversion. God used Jonah to convert these pagan sailors to himself, and Jonah lost the blessing. I think he's right. I don't think he's going too far out of the boundaries and surmising what happened here. People vowing and making sacred promises and sacrificing to the Lord. They had met the Lord face to face out there on that sea. In God's man Jonah, nowhere to be found. He's in the drink. We'll come back next time. We'll, 
we'll deal more with that. He lost the blessing, but God's work marches on. You see, B, the Lord will do whatever he is determined to do. If we serve him in obedience, we can enter into the joy of serving him and the joy of the blessing of that. If we do otherwise, misery will be our experience. But know this, you cannot resist him. It's not a tug of war. Some of you will do that at picnics and line up the, the big strong guys on one side and who else on the other side and drag them into the mud. It's not a tug of war. You cannot resist him. He marches on and he's right on schedule. And he was going to accomplish his work. And if his, his prophet was going to be disobedient, I wasn't going, oh my, God's not in Oh my, what am I going to do now? Whoa, I'm not going to do that again. What am I going to do now? My prophet has failed me. All is lost. No, God's work marches on and he accomplishes his purpose. He will accomplish it. Happiness or misery, what's your choice in all of that? When we disobey, God's work continues. Well, lessons for life. What can we say in closing? Number one. If you have never been saved, and some of you here today may have never trusted Christ the Lord as your Savior from sin, you must do that. It's not optional. You must be born again. I don't care if you're 99. Nine months or 99 or whatever, all the way between. You must individually be born again. If you've not done that, let me urge you to stop running and hiding from God. That's what the Bible says. Like Adam and Eve, our first parents. We run and we hide in our money, in our education, in our circumstances, and all of these things among the trees of the garden. Stop that. Come to Christ and be saved today. You can do that. Lord Jesus, be merciful unto me, a sinner. I receive you as my Savior. Will you do that? You can run, but you cannot hide. Number two, your life evidence is a message. Every one of us have a life message here, you know. And we build it every single day. It's a life message. When we say, like, well, I know, or I know this one, or I know this, there's a life message there. And you have one. And so I'm saying, does it show forth the fruits of living for Christ? culmination of the little decisions that you make and I make every single day. People that know you and know about you and the aura of your life and your persona and all that, would they say, that's a person that loves the Lord. And if they don't know you that well, there's something different about them. Boy, I don't know what it is. There ought to be a joy in our life. And if you're, you know, you're sour, you shouldn't be sour. There ought to be a rejoicing and a joy and a song. I know some believers act like they've been sucking on lemons instead of drinking lemonade. Just ask the Lord to give you the joy of the Lord. I know life can be hard. It can be tough. It can press us to the end and then some. But the grace of God is good. You have a life message. I hope people say, boy, for me to live is Christ. Number three, third lesson for our life. Do not be deceived. Your actions, whether sin or whether righteous, they always impact other people. Always. 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 We don't sin to ourselves. We don't. We may be in a cave all by ourselves, and we may sin in there by ourselves, but it's throwing a stone into a pond, and the ripple effect will go to places you, first of all, have no control over it. And it will impact the lives of others, for good or for otherwise. It's true. Say, I, I, I'm against that. It, it, it doesn't matter if you're against it. It's going to happen. Number four, know that when you commit even that first little sin, like Jonah, I don't really want to go there, Lord. I'll go somewhere else. Know this, that it may soon cause you to wish that you were dead. That's a, that's a stretch. But if you know Christ, the disorientation, disintegration that takes place, you're like a man or woman at sea being tossed about and you lose all your mooring. 
It's true. Be careful. Be careful. Beware. Number five and last, God's work is unstoppable. Aren't you glad of that? The great juggernaut. They said that of Hitler's war machine. It's the juggernaut moving all over Europe. But it wasn't, was it? It was stopped. We're thankful for the men and women that rose up and stopped that. We'd be speaking, all of us, probably German or something today here, right? They rose up and they stopped it. But God's work is unstoppable. It's unstoppable. Serve him and enter into the joy of working with him and for him and unto him all the days of your life. That way you get the blessing. Jonah was who he should have been. Paul, you see, was on a on a ship in a storm, but he was where God wanted him, doing the will of God, and circumstances were his friend, and he recognized God's hand in it, and he's up there exhorting these unsaved sailors. Not one of you is going to drown, God has told me. Not Jonah. He got tossed overboard, lost all the joy and the blessing, and never saw it. But don't let that be you. You can run, but you cannot hide. The fugitive, well, they almost caught him. But with God, you can never hide. Let's take these things to heart as we continue our study in the book of Jonah. Ask the Lord to deliver us from Jonah hearts. Give us a heart that loves him and loves other people.